All right. Thursday, December 17th. It's 8.52. I'm not going to say that I was shoveling the snow because my brother is a couple feet away. He would yell at me. Jackson did a marvelous job shoveling. What was it? Like 14 inches of snow? How much snow did we get? Hello? Yeah. 14 inches? Yeah. 14 inches of snow in Bergen County. Shout out to Jackson. Glad Jackson's home. <clears throat> Here's the situation. I hate the term bang, bang, play that they use in basketball. Well, we got a bang, bang podcast here. Uh, first and foremost, we got Mike McDaniel and Ed Williams holding it down with a little basketball talk. Catch you up with everything Virginia Tech basketball. Virginia Tech basketball bailed us out after a rough, rough couple days. Um, so shout out to Virginia Tech basketball for handling business against a really good Clemson Tigers basketball team. A little more no- news on that front. We've had Mike McDaniel covering... All of the press conferences with football. We are going to have Grant Mitchell covering all of the press conferences for basketball. So stay tuned with that. We're really excited about having him covering those for you as well. After that, we are going to uh, get back with the locks of Saturday. They're doing a little bit with the coaching carousel. Conference games coming up here. So bang, bang podcast. And then later this week on Sunday, breaking news. dun 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 we are bringing on Khalil Herbert on Sunday and also discussing everything that's happened in the last week in terms of Virginia Tech football. So a lot of stuff coming up. This podcast is brought to you by and is always brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Check out their Twitter page. They're doing a television giveaway. Um, we'll go ahead and retweet the details onto our timeline, but they are doing a TV giveaway. Shout out to Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts. They always treat you top-notch, top-notch service, top-notch people, top-notch product. Also, you can get some exclusive Sons of Saturday gear over there. Last bit of news for you, use Sons of Santa. That's S-O-N-S-O-F-S-A-N-T-A at your checkout on sonsofsaturday.com for 25%. Yes, 25%. That is a fourth of your order. Check that out. Without further ado, we're going 555. Uh, actually, I don't know what order the music's going to be in, but you got some great podcast stuff coming up. Looking forward to it, and we will talk to you real, real soon. Welcome back into Sons of Saturday Hoops Pod. My name is Mike McDaniel. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Ed Williams. Ed, what's going on, buddy? Feeling pretty good after that Clemson win, man. Uh, everything's been going well. Nice UVA win for football. So I'm glad to get back on here now and you know fully transition our focus towards you know Virginia Tech basketball as the schedule rolls on. So I am uh, ready to talk about basketball because it's been an exhausting 48 to 72 hours for me just kind of having to do all the press conference stuff for football and then write about it and talk about it. And I'm just ready to talk about something else. It's even more exhausting than I thought it was going to be just considering all the ups and downs of the last few days. So I'm happy that we can talk about basketball. I'm even more happy that we can talk about a Virginia tech win at home on Tuesday night over number 24 Clemson ed. That was the game that we previewed in the last podcast. It was, you know, the final stretch where Virginia Tech had like a week in between games. This was kind of a three-week stretch where it was basically one game a week. 
And Virginia Tech concluded that by beating Clemson, a very nice bounce back 66 to 60 win over the number 24 Tigers in Castle Coliseum. And Ed, it was not a perfect game by any stretch for the Hokies, but you know what? I thought the team overall from start to finish played hard, played a lot more together. And even when the going got tough, it just felt like they were playing much harder and with more confidence than that game against Penn State a week ago. It, it just looked better from a product standpoint, even though there were plenty of ups and downs and plenty of things we'll talk about on this, on this podcast that just didn't necessarily go the Hokies way in this game. I thought overall it was just a much better effort than we saw a week ago against Penn State. Yeah, that Penn State game was brutal. Um, you know, we, right from the tip, Virginia Tech basically got punched in the mouth and never really recovered. They played a little bit better in the second half, but it was, it was kind of too far gone at that point. Um, and energy was pretty low throughout the entire Penn State game. And, you know, within, within 24 hours of Virginia Tech getting blown out by Penn State, Clemson turned around and did the exact same thing the next day to Maryland, which has, you know, historically in the last couple of years been a solid program. They're a little bit down right now. But um, Clemson blew the doors off of Maryland, you know, 24 hours later. And all of a sudden we're sitting here, you know, talking about this last week, how it's going to be a tough game for Virginia Tech. Um, make no mistake, Clemson's number 24 ranking was earned. Um, they're a solid program. This third, it wasn't a fluke that they're in the rankings. They're 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 a legit team. We, in fact, you know, um, Virginia Tech just handed them their first loss, so they deserve to be where they were in the standings. And I think it was a huge testament to the staff and the team um, that they were able to correct a lot of the glaring issues they had against Penn State in that week off and come back and put up a really really good performance against a good Clemson team. Um, Clemson's well coached. They've got a lot of depth, a lot of length, very athletic team compared, especially compared to Virginia Tech. And uh, Mike Young and his staff did a really good job riding the ship and, you know, credit to the players as well. So it was, it was all around a very, very encouraging performance and kind of what we've come to expect from the Mike Young brand of basketball. Um, they did a lot of things really, really well. The one area that didn't really improve from Penn State to Clemson. In fact, it actually got a little bit worse in terms of just raw numbers, but turnovers, um, not something that's super stereotypical of a Mike Young team. They usually take care of the ball really well. Uh, Coach Young's, you know, talked about that at length in his time at Virginia Tech so far, the value of the ball. And uh, they're still turning it over at a really high rate, but they did a lot of other things really, really well against Clemson. So um, very, very good bounce back and, you know, gives us a lot of hope for, you know, things moving forward. But um, there's a lot to touch on that Clemson game. You got any thoughts, you know, right off the bat? Yeah, off the bat, uh, Cartier Jada not being in the lineup. Now, you and I, Ed, we we heard going into this game that Jada was likely not going to play again, but we didn't really know the specifics as to why. Uh, you and I have both heard independently, and then we were texting one another that we heard that it was COVID test-related once again. You guys will remember that uh, Cartier Jada uh, did not play a couple of games ago uh, against that was VMI, I believe, uh, prior to Penn State because he did not show up to a COVID test. He slept through his alarm. I don't know the total specifics about this particular situation, but it was COVID test related, not COVID positive related. He wasn't out due to COVID. He was out due to missing a test or something to do with the testing. You're not taking the test, you name it. But ultimately what happens is that when Mike Young addresses the media after the game, he announces that Cartier Jada has opted out of the basketball season for now. So it, it really was interesting how he phrased it because he said he could kind of just return at any time and they'll welcome him back. 
it doesn't seem like Cartier Jada is necessarily going to be out the entire season. At least that's not kind of the way it, it seemed when Mike Young was talking about it. It was very odd the way that it was phrased. It almost seemed like he just didn't want to play at the moment or he wasn't prepared. He hasn't prepared himself to play in the moment, but it's not really a discipline thing. They're pretty open and saying, yeah, he can return whenever he wants. Like we'll be open to it. And he could even return tomorrow. I mean, that's what that's essentially what Mike Young said. So I don't even think the coaching staff even really knows right now what the deal is with Cartier Jada. He's had a little bit of a history at Kansas State of being kind of a, a loose cannon, so to speak, and not necessarily always, you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, so to speak, and uh, b- being a guy who's always available and always there when you need him to be. I don't want to take any slights at him at, at Virginia Tech because he's so new to the program. Uh, but he's got a history of kind of being a little spacey in this regard. So the fact that he's opted out and he's not going to be playing, at least in the near future, I guess, shouldn't come as a gigantic surprise. Although I think a lot of people, upon hearing the news, were kind of scratching their heads at why he's just not with this program that he transferred to. Yeah, the way Coach Young phrased it, um, you know, in his body language, it was weird. I mean, it was super strange. Um, yeah. There doesn't seem to be really any rhyme or reason. And I'm sure there is behind the scenes that, you know, they just didn't want to get into. I'm sure there's a lot more to the story. We're digging. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, the easier reaction in my first, you know, gut reaction to the news is that we've probably seen the last of Cartier Jada um, in all likelihood. Um, but, you know, that door does seem open. Um, It'd be very interesting to see him all of a sudden be okay with whatever concerns he had regarding COVID and coming back to play. Um, so yeah, my, my gut reaction is we've probably seen the last of him in a Virginia Tech uniform, which is a bummer because coming into the season, yeah, there's a lot of high hopes for his abilities. And, you know, he came off a really good year last year at Kansas State. And he filled a lot of the, you thought he would fill a lot of the, you know, holes that this team had offensively, but um maybe it just wasn't you know the match that they needed to be um we'll see going forward but I, i'm operating under the assumption that uh the guys we saw against clemson will be the guys we see for the rest of the year and i think that's okay based on the performance they put out so very weird circumstance uh coach young handled it you know with with class in terms of the media as he always does so nothing surprising there it's just very weird um but yeah that's my take on it was we're probably going to ride with the guys that played against clemson here on out. Um, I'll be pleasantly surprised if Jada comes back and is a contributor, but I'm definitely not, you know, definitely don't have high hopes for that. So. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that tech will be fine with the guys who played against Clemson. And if those are guys that are going to be there and play, I think they'll be fine, but it would be nice to have Jada back. I, I kind of laugh a little bit because I think the opposite, like I think he'll just show up like two weeks from now and it'll be all good. I think either, either, I think it's a total like 50, 50 shot. Like I think you could flip a coin just given like what I've read about Jada and his history at Kansas state. Like I think you could flip a coin and he can be back tomorrow. And, I, and it just kind of seemed like Mike young kind of felt that way too. But I also would not be surprised at all in the least if he just didn't play again the rest of the year. So it is what it is. He's not with the program now and he didn't play in this game against Clemson, but I I thought the guard play, and I I want to get into this, I guess, first off the top, because there's a lot to get into with this Clemson game. And, you know, we'll preview some upcoming games here coming up for tech too, because they play now uh, three times in the near future. So we're going to have to get into that. 
Uh, but Virginia Tech wins this game, like we mentioned, 66 to 60. Ed, you, you mentioned the 17 turnovers in this game. And I want to talk about the guard play in particular, because I think the one thing that I was watching for in this game, once I realized Cartier Jada was not going to be a part of it, was, you know, how do, do the guard rotations work? How do how does that look, right? And Wabisabidi ends up playing 33 minutes in this game. He only had one of the 17 turnovers. Uh, Jalen Cohn plays only 12 minutes, which surprised me. Uh, but we saw a lot of Hunter Couture, and we saw a lot of the starting five, uh, Keve Aluma, Justin Mutz, Aline, Radford, and then, of course, Beatty. Uh, but we didn't see a lot of Jalen Cohn. And I thought it was interesting that Hunter Couture kind of came in and spelled Beatty a little bit. And Mike Young alluded to it after the game. He said, you know, he can do a little bit of everything for us. And it's clear that Mike Young isn't afraid to throw Hunter Couture into the fold as one of the team's primary ball handlers in, in a pinch, obviously, when Beattie is off the floor. But Beattie playing 33 minutes, again, only had five points, two of five shooting, only had one turnover, one assist. He played very good defense all night, but his presence wasn't really felt in this game on the offensive end of the floor as it has been in the early part of the year. Um, we mentioned that he had been showing a bit more confidence in his shooting stroke. Uh, but again, you know, to play 33 minutes and only put up five shots, but then also only have one assist, like you got to bring more to the table offensively. If you're not scoring, you got to, you know, be dishing out more assists or making the offense go a little bit more. And I felt like in this game, there were too many times, especially like late in the second half, Tech jumped out to this huge lead in this game against Clemson. Clemson cut into it late and <laughs> nearly flipped the switch and won the game there. Uh, but I thought there were too many times late where the offense looked a little bit stale and stagnant. And that worries me a little bit as Tech goes into the teeth of their ACC schedule coming up here after Christmas and have, you know, has to play against some of the tougher teams in conference. I, I worry about these dry spells that they tend to – that they tend to go on and turnovers have a lot to do with that too. But I, I think it all kind of folds together. And I do worry about the guard play a little bit, which wasn't really that big of a concern for me coming into this season. Yeah. The, the streakiness of the offense is definitely concerning. And I think you, you know, hit it right on the head there with the turnovers. Um, that's a huge part of it that, you know, can kill a run can prevent you from going on a run. And this team, when they go on a run, it's, it's pretty fun to watch. Um, so I think if they can figure out the turnover problem, uh, the offense will continue to or will produce at a higher clip on a more consistent basis. Because, um, yeah, they've been really streaky. Uh, you know, they go up 16 in last night or two nights ago against Clemson, and then, you know, Clemson comes storming back. We don't score for a few minutes, and all of a sudden it's like a six-point game. That can't happen um, as you get into, you know, I don't want to say better teams because Clemson's a good team, and, you know, the ACC has been kind of weird so far. Um, but that can't happen if you want to win on a consistent basis and score on a consistent basis. So if they can figure the turnover problem out, which you're right, it's not just coming from the guards, it's coming from everybody. Uh, you know, a couple of weird plays by Mutz, you know, passes, you know, get stolen. And, and a lot of lays, like passes that have no business being contested or being contested against the Hokies, um, you know, easy passes, you know, into the post, things like that, uh, that just kind of seem a little lazy on um you know leads to a lot of these turnovers but if they can figure out the turnovers i think the offense will produce it on a more consistent basis now when you talk about bd i've kind of come to the conclusion that this is who he's going to be uh, and any offensive output from him is going to be taken as a bonus at this point in my mind um and i think that's perfectly okay uh the reason i say that is because he looks really confident in his game right now 
And that doesn't necessarily have to mean scoring, uh, especially for him. He's a defensive wizard. And he's, and most importantly, besides his defense, because he's the best defender on the team and he's going to have to guard a lot of really good guards, you know, as we continue to get into the ACC. And that's going to be really, really important. But I think equally as important on the, as his skill on the defensive end is the calming presence that he brings to everybody else. Um, you see, you know, dead ball, everyone turns and looks at BD and he's talking to, you know, the younger guys, he's talking to the transfers, you know, he's talking to even the Lumas who, you know, haven't played in a while. His calming presence, um, I think, is invaluable, and that's why he's on the court and along with the defense. Um, yeah, like I said, any made bucket, any great pass at this point, I think myself and most Virginia Tech fans are going to view as a bonus, and I think that's okay, and I think this team can still be successful um, with that being the case. Now that football's over, I think the uh, basketball tour is going to get a bit more fired up, and then watching BD play is going to be – very interesting moving forward because social media as more eyes turn to basketball now away from football and onto basketball or Bissabidi, you know, we talked about public enemy number one being Brad Cornelson with football, public enemy number one with basketball is with Bissabidi for better or worse. Um, again, like you mentioned, I think any offensive output is good. Right. And, and I agree with you. I mean, he's a total floor general and he's the leader of the team and it's clear that, the team values him on the court. And obviously his defense is, uh, again, I think he's the best on ball defender in the ACC. I've gone on the record saying that. I think it's pretty safe to say at this point, at least from the guard position, you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody better than him. Yeah. Uh, and anyone who says Kihei Clark, go away. Get out of here. I mean, uh, five, Clark is nowhere near the player that will be speedy. Uh, a five foot nine, five foot 10 guard is not going to be the same defender as a six foot one, six foot two guard. I'm sorry. It's just not, not going to be the case. Um, Kihei Clark's a, a fine player. He's not with Bissabidi defensively. Uh, I want to talk about free throws real quick. So Virginia tech was nine of 18 from the free throw line against Penn state. They were 25 of 31 in this game. Uh, shooting over 80% from the line, probably not, probably definitely want them this basketball game. Um, if you miss more than the six free throws Virginia Tech missed in this game, you're you're going to be in a world of hurt. It's going to be a, a, a one-possession game likely down the stretch. I mean, they made a lot of front ends of the one-and-ones um, at the ends of each half, which I thought were huge. Free throw shooting was huge from Keve Aluma. He was 9-12 from the line. Tyrese Radford. So I, I want to get into a larger discussion about how good he was, but he was 5-6 of six from the free throw line. He made some crucial free throws down the stretch. I thought Virginia Tech as a whole just played much better offensively. Five of 16 from three is still not great, but to kind of get back to shooting a bit more confidently overall from the floor, Tech shot nearly 41% from the floor in this game. That's going to be fine with the level of defense that Virginia Tech can play and is capable of playing. Uh, I thought the defense as a whole was much, much better in this game against Clemson. Uh, than it was against Penn State. It was an abject disaster against the Nittany Lions. I thought it was much, much better on Tuesday night against the Tigers. Ed. Yeah, I completely agree. And Coach Young talked about it in the postgame, um, you know, how he felt like the team was you know, more on a string. Um, communication was a lot better. And I think a lot of that was pace of play. This game was a lot slower played than Penn State. Penn State was pretty up and down. Clemson was, you know, pretty low possession game. Um, so I think that helped. But I also just think that there must have been some sort of pretty strong emphasis on defense in the last week, as you'd expect after, you know, a game where you're giving up wide open looks up and down the floor to Penn State. So I think everybody played really well on defense. 
Um, there weren't really any weak links that I could see out there. You know, you got guys like Jalen Cohn who are going to struggle on the defensive end, just pure side alone. But um, I really liked the way, obviously, BD played um, on the defensive end, as usual. And then Naheem Aline, I thought, played really, really good defense, as well as, you know, he's back on the offensive end. He hit a few threes early in that game and, you know, looked a little bit more confident and like himself. Um, but most importantly, I thought he played really good defense. Uh, and same for Hunter Couture. Um, you know, I used to think Couture was just kind of a three and D player. And that's kind of what he still is, but he's getting much more confident with the ball's hand, had a nice drive to the basket, um, you know, finish at the rim. So uh, his maturation process has been fun to watch. And, you know, he's still only a sophomore. So uh, I thought Aline, Couture, Beattie all played really good defense on the perimeter. Um, but then on the inside, I really liked, you know, Aluma looked solid. Um, I don't, I think he's more of a skilled big than he will be as a, you know, type of defensive big. Justin Mutz, uh, he's fun to watch. He had a nice chase down block. Um, and then Cordell Pemsel brings a nice physicality that I think this team has missed for a little while. Uh, he's getting a little chippy with um, Amir Sims for Clemson. So that was, that was kind of fun to see. But I think Pem I like what the, the, geez, I can't speak. I like the toughness that Pemsel brings off the bench. Um, he, he has no interest in getting in there and shooting threes, but he likes to rough it up down on the inside. And, you know, he's surprised me at least with his offensive output. I mean, we knew he was a solid player at Iowa and he kind of got, got overtaken there by player of the year, Luca Garza, which you'd expect, but he's been a really, really pleasant surprise for me. While we're on the topic of bigs, David and Gusan, uh, he's our best yeah. freshman and that's <laughs> something neither you or myself predicted. We did know that he was going to play because Mike Young kept talking about in the preseason. He's like, I'm telling you guys, he's going to play. He's raw offensively, but he brings something to the table defensively. He only played five minutes last night, but he had three rebounds in five minutes of playing time. And defensively last night, I thought he was very good. And the minutes that he played, even though he wasn't in a ton, that five minute, the five minutes that he got when he was kind of in and out of the lineup, shuffled in, in and out briefly, I thought he was very, very good. And I tweeted that out at the time. I'm like, you know what? He's giving Tech some huge minutes off the bench. He had to give Aluma a blow. You know, Justin Mutz was in foul trouble. I thought he was huge last night. It's easy to talk about Pemsel. Pemsel was very good. Uh, but I thought Gusan was a guy who uh, probably played his best game of the year last night in only five minutes playing time. Yeah, and you know what? You mentioned the rebounds, you know, for only five minutes. Uh, that's not the first time he's done that in his limited minutes, come in and just, like, stack that rebounds out of nowhere. Um, you can see on the offensive end, there's just not much there right now. I think part of that is um, physicality-related. He clearly needs some time in the weight room, and that that's to be expected from a freshman. But, yeah, he, he provides a lot of value, um, even just giving those guys a break, like you mentioned, especially Mutz. I think that's kind of the role that, and Gasan has is behind Mutz. Uh, they're kind of a similar player. Mutz is obviously you know, more physically and um, basketball IQ wise ahead of him as he's older. But I really, really like the minutes that he's putting in off the bench. Um, who would have thought he would be the highest impact freshman that we have with the other two and, you know, their 24 seven ratings and things of that nature. But um, he's been great. And I look forward to watching him grow this year and, you know, in his career, I think he, has carved out a nice little role for himself and we'll probably see a solid amount of uh, him as the season progresses. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, Darius Max has played like two minutes all season and Joe mm -hmm. Bamisil, we haven't really seen much of him in the last like three games. So I think it's safe to say neither one of them will scratch the rotation unless 
you know, we have a COVID outbreak or something like that, which I mean, it's, it's 2020. So who knows? Yeah. it's very uh, Well, and part of what I was saying earlier about when we were talking about Jada, um, I, you know, in my mind, I was thinking as well, you know, the guys we saw against Clemson will be the guys we see the rest of the year. I, part of that was directed at those freshmen as well. I, I don't see them, um, you know, cracking the lineup, barring right. any injuries or issues like that for, you know, Bama still and Maddox. I think it's a developmental year and I think that's completely okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's developmental year. I think it'll be fine. Uh, Naheem Aline, I got to talk about my boy Naheem Aline. You know, I love Musim Aline. He was back, baby. Uh, four of seven from the floor, three of five from three. He led Tech in scoring at the half. He had nine points at halftime. Only ended up scoring 13 total for the game. Uh, but like you mentioned, I thought defensively he was really good. It was good for him to find a shooting stroke back. He was shooting it with confidence the last couple of games, even when he wasn't shooting the ball well. So you knew that those were eventually going to fall. But it was nice to see him get hot in the first half and really pace the Hokies there offensively uh, because there were, again, a few stretches in the first half even where uh, Tech kind of went dry and he would hit a big shot. And, you know, Tech's going to need that this year. There's going to be times where, you know, from turnovers or just cold shooting, you know, Tech's going to need somebody to spark a run. And Aline being able to hit some big shots last night in the first half, I think, kind of kept Tech ahead of schedule. You and I were talking about scramble shots, right? Because Tech was turning the ball over so many times early in the game, and you and I were texting about it. And that the one takeaway that you had was that, oh my God, these scramble, these scramble plays leading to three pointers kind of off schedule. That, that's what was keeping the Hokies in it, right? Offensively and ultimately giving tech a five point lead at halftime. It was helping tech, but it was helping Clemson even more. Uh, there were so many times in that, especially in the first half, we played great defense all the way down to the last literally three seconds of the shot clock. And they would turn around and hit a fadeaway three from the corner. <laughs> yeah. and it was like, Happened a few times. It's a bummer, and it, it's going to happen in games, and you see the coaches get really frustrated on the sideline because you did everything right up until the last second. But it happened multiple times in the first half, and I was like, my goodness, if they would just stop hitting these, you know, prayers, right? Uh, the Hokies would have had a pretty good lead at halftime. So, yeah, I mean, it helps both teams. Um, I thought I just thought Naheem played really well. His confidence has never wavered all year. He's still, he hasn't shot, you know, shot away from a single open shot he's had. And that's kind of the Mike Young way, and that's kind of how you want your shooters to be. Um, but he looked great to, great on both ends of the floor against Clemson, and that, we're going to need him as the year progresses. So that's really good to see. I'm still standing by my statement that he's Virginia Tech's best all-around player when he's right. I'm going to stand by it. I, I've been wavering on that a little bit. I'm gonna, I, I've been wavering on it a little bit. but I respect the commitment, but let's jump into the next guy who probably is that, and it's Tyrese Rapid. <laughs> 36 minutes, 5'11 shooting, 5 of 6 from the free throw line, 15 points, 2 rebounds, 1 assist, only had 2 turnovers. Defensively, he was a monster. Tyrese Radford took this game over late. Um, He was good all night, but the last 4 minutes, he was the reason why Virginia Tech won the basketball game. And you know what, Ed? I, I mean, just talking about Tyrese Radford just kind of at a macro level real quick, this isn't the first time he's done that this year. It's certainly not the first time he's done it in his career. You know, we talked about how Virginia Tech's veteran leadership won the Hokies the game against VMI. When the going got tough, it was BD, it was Keve Aluma, it was Tyrese Radford kind of leading them down the stretch. Last night when Tech needed a bucket late, they went to Tyrese Radford. He is their go-to scorer. He is the guy who takes the game over. And when he's playing with that type of confidence and getting to the rack, which is something that he needs to do more consistently, I will say, 
But when he puts his head down and drives to the glass, he's a very dangerous player when he's playing with confidence. And last night we saw just how good he continues to be for Virginia Tech. And he's the reason why Tech won this game down the stretch because Clemson was closing in the last six or seven minutes. And Tech needed buckets. And just like I talked about, you know, in the first half with Naheem Aline, you know, he made some big shots in the first half to keep the Hokies ahead. Tyrese Radford made some huge shots down the stretch, made his free throws, got to the free throw line, played very well defensively. He was the reason why Virginia Tech was able to hold on and win this basketball game. Yeah, absolutely. He was fantastic um, on both ends of the floor. The two plays that immediately jump out in my mind were the, the end one dunk in the first half, which is ridiculous. ridiculous. And then in the second half, down late, um, well, actually not down late, but, you know, towards the end of the game, that, that Clemson was closing, like you said, and on ball, one-on-one, just takes the ball right from the Clemson player, goes down at the other end. Um, that was a huge moment in the game because Clemson had scored in a few straight possessions, I believe, and um, Tyrese just said enough of this. Took Literally took the ball right out of the kid's hands, went down, got fouled on the other end. So I almost had another and one, but he kind of got undercut, which is always scary to see. But it was fine, made the free throws, business as usual for Tyrese Radford. He's always okay to get into kind of a dogfight. Um, no matter how big the guy underneath the rim is, he doesn't care. Bully and ball. That's not the first time, and I don't think it'll be the last time that we see him do that. Uh, I think back to UNC last year, um, a couple times this year, you know, late in the shot clock, get the ball to Radford. And I agree with you that he needs to get to the basket on a more consistent basis. Um, there's a lot of mouths to feed offensively. And I think that kind of contributes to that. And that's why we see him do this late in games because he's the most consistent at creating his own shot and he doesn't create it in the way you think of for basketball these days. So, um, he's just, he's just an old school guy who plays old school basketball. And I love, love watching him. And so did the announcers last night. They, they are hyping him up big time. He is, uh, it's the bully ball brand. It's Marcus Smart without the stupid three-point attempts, the heat check threes that he always missed. I'm a, I'm a huge Celtics fan, so uh, Marcus Smart is the most exciting and the most infuriating, and Billy Ray always <laughs> tweets this out. It's like, there are more times when you watch Marcus Smart play in big games at the NBA level where you're like, no, 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 no. Why are you shooting that? That goes and you're like, all right, fine. Like, I'm glad I'm glad he shot it. You have more of those moments with Marcus Smart uh, than you'd like. Bradford doesn't do that. He's That's not the type of player he is. But the way that he plays defensively, number one, is on-ball defense. His toughness that he brings to the table and how he delivers offensively when he takes the ball to the rack, that is that emulates Marcus smart and kind of what he's about. So it's, he's a very similar player in that regard, a bit undersized, but can a guy that you can basically play at all five positions because he'll almost fit in anywhere. And like you said, I, I think the point you made about him creating his own shot, but not necessarily in the way that you would think, I think that's a great point. Um, and that's something that I think he does well again, you know, taking the ball to the basket and, you know, being that kind of guy for the Hokies when he needs to be, but he's not forceful with it. He's very efficient offensively. And I think that he knows his role and he's comfortable in that role. And I think that's really crucial. I, a couple more things I want to get into um, Hunter Couture. So he has 11 points last night, six rebounds, really good off the bench, hit a couple of huge threes. Uh, defensively, I think overall this year, he's, he's been okay. Um, I, sometimes with Couture, it's a bit up and down. 
but I think athletically he's proven that he belongs in the ACC and can play at a very high level. And I think he's pretty important to this team's success. I think he's, you know, outside of Jalen Cohn, I think if you're looking for one guy now, especially with Jada out, right. If you're looking for one guy, who's going to be that proven sixth man, who's going to eat up a lot of the minutes, it's probably going to be Hunter Couture, um, at least on the wing and the guard positions. Uh, you're going to see a lot of pencil and Ngusan and stuff like that. But I think Hunter Couture is that guy. Um, at least it was last night in 20 minutes of playing time. I thought he played great. Yeah, he's, he was really good. Um, I don't really have any, anything bad to say about Hunter Couture. Yeah, he does get a little lost on defense sometimes. Um, and I think that'll continue to get better as he plays more. Um, but, you know, this was kind of his, I guess, bounce back game. He didn't play against Penn State. He had, I think, strep throat was what Coach Young said. Yeah, strep throat. Um, so this was a huge, you know, he, he provided huge minutes against Clemson um, and noticeable minutes, which was kind of important. Uh, Cone, everyone's going to immediately say Cone is the best shooter on the team. Um, and I think Hunter Couture has a very strong argument for that title. I agree. Uh, he spaces the floor and allows guys like, Tyrese Radford, you know, space to get into the into the middle and score. Kevin Alum on the block, um, things like that. Hunter Couture could stand in the corner and shoot, you know, over fifty percent from three, um, and that is wonderful thing to have. You know, think back to, um, you know, the teams of the past with J. Rob and guys like that, and you know their ability to drive and then kick to Ty Outlaw, who literally could not miss. Um, He's not quite the level of shooter that Ty Outlaw was. I'm not sure anybody is, but similar concept, similar um, floor spacing ability, and, you know, kind of a similar player. Uh, Ty Outlaw wasn't great on defense. He was a lot bigger, played a different position, but um, very similar player in their impact on the game, you know, the ability that they have. Um, I do like how Hunter has progressed in his other areas of his offensive game, that be ball handling and going to the basket. We've seen him do it a couple of times with confidence and success this year. Um, and I think that'll continue to get better as well. You like to see more from him defensively, but if he's going to stand in the corner and hit 50% from three for the rest of his career at Virginia Tech, that's perfectly okay with me. Yeah. The tie outlaw comp, I think is accurate. If you want to go back even further to my older hope, he's out there like Dorenzo Hudson, <laughs> similar type player early, uh, early 2010s. Like that's, another guy who I think is a good cop just kind of hangs out and just hits a bunch of threes. That's basically what Couture is. And I think defensively he is getting better, but uh, it's still a work in progress there to defensively for a lot of these guys. Um, Correct. Oh, I agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw, you know, it come together for the most part against Clemson and I think it'll continue to get better, but. Um, you know, Aline at times has struggled defensively. Cone, obviously, we know his, you know, limitations on that end of the floor. Mutz. Um, well, all the sophomores yeah. for the most part. And then Mutz, you know, he's at a new level of basketball going against a new level of guys. So, yep. um, I think the defense should continue to improve as the season goes on. And that goes back to kind of what I was talking about with BD, where his experience and his knowledge is invaluable on that end of the floor, specifically because, you know, on in those, like, little mini foul timeouts where they huddle up, it's always BD talking. So, um, they'll get better defensively, and, it, and it's invaluable to have a guy like Wobisa Bidi on that end of the floor. It is nice to have a guy kind of each level of the roster, right? You got a guy at, at guard and Bidi. You have a guy on the wing in Radford, and you have a guy down low in Aluma. Those are probably your three best defenders. <laughs> so it's nice, to, it's nice to have that in your starting lineup. And 
offensively, uh, you know, it's, it's been a little bit inconsistent in the early going, I think for the starters, but, and, and we talked about maybe shaking things up after the Penn state game. Maybe we overreacted a little bit to a brutal loss, but I think, you know, tech showed what they're capable of against a very good Clemson team um, at home. And, and I guess two macro level questions I have Ed for you. Number one, how big was this win? I mean, second top 25 win in the first six games for the Hokies. And we don't know. I think you brought you brought up a good point. I think I'd, I'd like you to, you to expand on a little bit for the audience. You texted me this. Talking about how huge this second top 25 win is early in the season, especially in 2020. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's huge for, in a lot of respects. It's huge for the resume, obviously. You know, right. top 25 win against an ACC team. Um, so it's obviously huge in the you know, very surface level. Uh, I think it's equally as big in an internal program level where you go out and you just get, you know, your teeth caved in on basically by Penn state. And then you're able to bounce to correct all those issues um, offensively and defensively come back, play a arguably better Clemson team and pretty much handle them start to finish. Um, yeah. I think that's a huge Testament to Mike Young and his staff and the players willingness to learn and grow. Um, I would have loved to have been in some of those practices this past week and see yeah. kind of what they did to correct those problems and what the main areas of emphasis that, you know, coach young and his staff had for those guys after the Penn state game, but their ability to grow in that week and solve those problems and kind of, you know, have a short memory, um, is really, really cool to see. And something that I think we can look forward to as fans for the rest of the year. But yeah, uh, in terms of the resume, I'll get back to that. Um, Five and one with two top 25 wins in a year where who knows how many games you're going to play. That's huge. Um, It's huge for your resume. I think I talked about this a little bit last week, but, and I believe it was, it was coach Turgeon for Maryland on the junkies for all you DC area Hokies um, right into work before the season. I think he mentioned something. The stat was teams scheduled 27 games and the requirement for the NCAA tournament is a minimum of 13 played. Um, we're almost halfway there and we have two top 25 wins. So to get to that 13, um, so barring a COVID, you know, catastrophe where we miss a bunch of games, our resume already looks pretty solid. Um, so it's really big on both internal program level stuff and resume stuff, you know, just things that fans care about. I think it's a really big win for a lot of reasons. Could be a second quadrant one when we'll see how Clemson kind of continues through the season. Um, at the very least, it's it's a quadrant one and probably a quadrant two win <laughs> at, the, at the very least six games in. I mean, that's huge for the resume. Uh, all right. One more point here. So we mentioned this a little bit off the top that the one thing we obviously didn't like from this game is Tech turns the ball over 17 times. This is uncharacteristic of Mike Young coach teams to turn the ball over the way that Virginia Tech has in particular here uh, throughout the first six games of the season. Do you think they turn this around, number one? Number two, do you think this is just kind of who this team is going to be? you think they're just going to turn the ball over a bunch? I don't know what the true answer to that is. I do think that playing more than one game a week will probably help that a little bit. Uh, But it is a little bit troubling, and it's becoming a trend with this team through six games that – always seems to stick out at us. It's not something that has kind of gone away. In fact, the 17 turnovers is, I believe, the worst mark of the season. It is the worst mark of the season, and you wouldn't think that after the Penn State game when we had like nine in the first half, but 17 is the most um, turnovers this team has had in this season. Uh, To answer your question, 
I think the answer is no. I don't think that that's who this team is going to be. At least I hope not. And the reason I do say no is because I don't think Mike Young will allow that. Uh, it's a core part of who he is as a coach and, you know, the things he believes in to not turn the ball over. And I think they're going to continue to drill that into these guys. And, you know, BD had one, I believe you said, against Clemson, which from your main ball handler, one turnover is very, very good. Um, so it's interesting to see that they're coming kind of throughout the lineup. Yeah. But I think they'll get it right. Uh, they have a couple games coming up. I know we're at the dive into the schedule, so this is kind of a good segue against Coppin State and Longwood, which should, in theory, be get-right games. Um, you know, offensively, not that they were, you know, wrong. They just be the number 24 team in the country. But maybe in terms of that, you know, getting some quality reps, slowing down a little bit. Um, the turnovers are kind of come in a variety of ways. You know, your, your, your classic turnovers that are going to happen, you know, you're playing against good players too. Um, but then there's just been like kind of the lazy stuff and, um, you know, getting caught in no man's land kind of thing. Things that I think that they can correct as they play more basketball. Um, and they'll be able to do that, you know, soon moving forward. So it'll be nice to see some of the younger guys try to get some more playing time here against Coppin State and Longwood. The, you know, Tech plays Saturday, then they play Monday night. The next podcast we record will likely be before Christmas, right after these two games, before Tech plays Miami on the 29th. You know, we'll probably, you know, Ed and I will sit down before the holiday reconvene here and talk about Coppin State and Longwood. Uh, but what I mean by the younger guys, I'm not saying necessarily like, okay, let's throw Maddox and Bamisil out there. I, I'm saying let's get some more minutes for Jalen Cohn. Let's get some more minutes for Dave and Gusan, you know, guys who I believe are going to have a role. Let's continue to get Justin Mutz comfortable. Let's continue to get Cordell Pemsel, who's not a young guy, but he's new to this offense. Let's continue to get him more comfortable off the bench. Tech's going to go as far as the starters take them, but I do believe the three or four guys that Tech is playing consistently off the bench are going to have to have some huge minutes and some pivotal moments throughout the season. I think getting them comfortable and continuing to get them confident in what they're doing offensively and defensively is going to be huge because after Coppin State and Longwood, Tech's in the teeth of the ACC schedule. You got all ACC games from here on out. It's going to be really crucial to see how Tech handles those. And in a year where you are going to have to have everybody and you are going to have to have the depth because you don't know who you're going to have game to game, right? And Tech's knock on wood done a very nice job so far. They've had everybody available in every game they've played as far as COVID is concerned, right? Um, but you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what tomorrow brings in regard to this pandemic. So you don't know who's going to be available. You know, you don't know if Cordell Pencil is going to have to be in the starting lineup some. You don't know if you know, Jalen Cohn is going to have to be a starter if Beatty's out or, you know, if, you know, you're going to have to get some minutes out of Ngusan as, you know, a starter at some point. You just don't know. So I think getting the team chemistry down here over the next couple of games is going to be really crucial. That's what I'm going to be watching for because the games themselves, Tech is much better than Coppin State. They're much better than Longwood. Again, Coppin State took Duke down to the wire a bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, but this is not a very good basketball team and Tech should handle both Coppin State and Longwood with ease. If they don't, Ed, you and I are going to be sitting down next week and doing a very different podcast, much similar to the podcast we had after the VMI game. So hopefully Tech goes out and plays well in these, these next couple of games. Yeah, both Coppin State and Longwood are one and five. Uh, Coppin State did have a nice showing against Duke, but you know since then, that obviously they haven't built off that at all. Nope. Um, so they, both these games, I think you talked about it perfectly. Um, I would love to see guys like Pemsel, Cone. Angus on, um, you know, 
quite frankly, Couture get more minutes um, to, you know, be more comfortable as we do dive into that ACC schedule with Miami first. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I would love to see, you know, those guys all get a lot of got, get a lot of burn off the bench and um, continue to gel. I do, you know, the, the main area of focus I think I will have watching these games is do they build off of Clemson or do they kind of revert back into that lull that they were in with VMI and then Penn State? Um, I, I'll hope to see them continue to play at the high level that they played at against Clemson um, and not kind of revert back into those bad habits defensively against Coppin State and Longwood, uh, against Coppin State and Longwood. So we'll see how it goes. Neither team are very good. Um, hopefully they blow them out enough where we can see the freshman play because I think a lot of tech fans would love to see, you know, Joe Bamos will fly him through the lane, things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nice glimpse of the future. But, um, you know, more importantly for this season, I would love for them to all as a team, everyone kind of gel because, you know, a game like this, quite frankly, um, there's still a lot of gelling at the starting five needs. Um, yeah. I, another guy that I thought of when you were talking about people who need minutes is Justin Mutz. Um, yeah, he's yeah. playing a lot, but I, I don't think he's fully confident in his game yet in this offense. Um, but, you know, we've seen flashes of it, but I think there's a lot more to kind of, you know, take out of his game that we, we, we're going to need, you know, down the stretch. He's a very versatile player, and the more minutes he has, you know, in the system, um, you know, greatly benefit this team going forward. So, Pemsel, Cone, Mutz. Um, Couture, guys like that, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing them on the court much, much more. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. And Mutz, I, I just want to see him defensively gain more confidence. It feels like he's not totally he's not totally comfortable yet with sliding his feet and that sort of thing. Like for everything Aluma does well defensively, you know, everybody talks about how he used to play soccer and that's like the new thing. We joked about that. That's like the new, you know, Chris Hogan used to play lacrosse and all this other stuff. Like that, that's what it is with Aluma. He used to play soccer. Okay. We get it. He's able to slide his feet and have really good footwork defensively. Uh, Mutz isn't there yet. And I feel like he's reaching a little bit and he's doing some things defensively where he feels like he almost has to foul because he can't stay in front of somebody. I want to see him continue to gain confidence because there's flashes of him being a very good defender. There's also flashes of him not being totally comfortable at this level yet. So I agree with you. I mean, he's another guy that definitely needs to step up in that regard. I think he's playing hard. I think he's doing the right things. I just think that it's a confidence thing. He has to believe that he can play at this level. Mike Young's even talked about in the press conferences. He, he says, you know what? Mutt is, Mutt's is a very good player. And he just needs to kind of believe that and play with that kind of confidence. And I think he will as the season goes along. But I think these next two games are games where we'd like to see him continue to, you know, be comfortable and gain that kind of confidence. Uh, I would like to see Tech just win comfortably. Like, I don't feel like we've really seen that since South Florida. <laughs> it's just kind of been this kind of up and down, like kind of proposition all year. And I would like to see tech convincingly start to finish, just bury two bad teams because we haven't seen them do that. Tech's been winning games and they've played well enough on both ends with the exception of Penn state, of course, but I, we haven't seen tech just go out and outright bury anybody yet. And I would like to see them do that in these next two games against cop and state and Longwood again, build off Clemson and, and get some momentum going here before you get into ACC play. Um, so that's what I would like to see. Um, Ed, do you have uh, anything else here before we wrap up? No, I just look forward to watching these next two games heading into the holidays. Um, I just don't want to see them regress in the areas Great. they made improvement on. 
from Penn State to Clemson. I want to see, you know, continue them to see them build on those things and then get some of those younger guys in. But um, it's been it's been a fun season so far. You know, a lot to talk about, um, both good and bad. And, you know, this team's a little rocky um, so far. But, you know, five and one being with the struggles they've had, solid record. So uh, we'll take our two top 25 wins and, you know, hopefully be seven and one going into the holidays. Got a question for you now. Is Virginia Tech ranked the next time we record this podcast? They will only have one more game before the next set of rankings come out. It's against Coppin State. Does it win against Coppin State convincingly get Tech back in the top 25? Yes or no? No other option. Yes or no? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it does. I think they land in the 20 to 25 range, which yeah. is probably about where they should have been to begin with. Yeah. Um, I think they probably got to win it pretty convincingly, but – agree. You know, six and one with two top 25 wins, it'd be kind of hard to imagine them not being, you know, in the, at least, you know, in that, you know, 24, 25, 23 range. So, yeah, I think they do, um, you know, which makes fans really happy, but I don't think the team really cares. Yeah. Ed, you know what? Truthfully, Ed, you and I shouldn't really care either. It's such a long season. But, um, yeah, I mean, they just got to keep getting better. Uh, all right. Cool. So. Next time we record, it'll be likely after the Coppin State and Longwood games before the holidays. And, you know, Tech starts out. I don't want to say starts out because that was their first ACC game against Clemson, but really gets into ACC play on the 29th after Christmas uh, with a game against Miami. They play UVA on January 2nd, and that's when things get real for the Hokies. So uh, we'll see what happens here, Ed. Uh, Until then, tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Yeah. E underscore Williams 24 on Twitter and then um, sons of Saturday.com, you know, where you can find, you know, everybody from sons of Saturday stuff, uh, listen to the pod, listen to locks of Saturday. I know those guys are recording a um, conference championship week gambling podcast right now. So that'd be fun to listen to. Um, but yeah, Mike, back to you. At Mike McDaniel VT, easiest way to find me sons of Saturday.com. I'm on podcast too, but you can find all my stuff just, on twitter it's generally a nightmare like i mentioned every podcast but go check me out there um until next time ed we'll uh we'll talk soon and hopefully tech looks convincing here for the next couple games uh but we'll talk to you all soon until next time go hokies what's up sons and daughters this is sam jesse i'm here with the crew from locks of saturday championship week get hyped for championship week i got chris brett and robert guys how are we feeling the regular season is complete well it's not actually complete there's a couple teams that uh still have some games here and there pretty much it's over how are we all feeling i'm not obligated to watch a virginia tech football game every week so i can just sit back and enjoy whatever great game is happening yeah i second that Sweet, sweet freedom. That's all I can say. It's great. Yeah, the, the news came out today. The Hokies will not be playing in a bowl. More or less the correct decision. I, I think most people agree with that. Um, you know, it's time to move on to 2021. Signing day was today. and um, Better things. Better things in the future. That's what we're all hoping for. But there are some teams who have better things now. And we are going to jump into those. This week, we're going to cover every single major co- uh, major college football conference championship game. Super exciting. A few more games are used to, so we won't go as in-depth in order to keep a little shorter, but should be a lot of fun. Slight programming note. 
next week, we will do our playoff prediction and year in review. So that'll be really fun. Get to go over the over under win totals that we picked at the beginning of the season and see how dumb we all were. Uh, Chris Louisville, not, not a good football team. I have editing power on the website and I will take down that, that, that prediction. <laughs> it, it was that bad. Yeah. yeah I blew it there. I'll be honest. I was, I was right there with them. I had them at number two. No avail. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of us got burned on that one. I'm going to be honest. I think most of the country got burned on that one, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. Uh, that'll go towards the scoreboard. The scoreboard is really tight and it's coming down to the wire. Wouldn't have it any other way. Let's get championship week started off with Conference USA, Alabama, Birmingham, the Blazers, plus five and a half against the Marshall Thundering Herd. Uh, I have Marshall minus five and a half. These are two really even teams. Uh, Marshall has cool uniforms. Some of my favorites in the college football. Great colors, great mascot. Irby, I'll kick it over to you. What do you got for UAB and Marshall? Yes, so I I am a pretty big uh, Alabama Birmingham fan, um, big Blazer guy. I I they're one of my favorite group of five teams. Just love their color scheme, love the whole you know ending your program then bringing it back thing. Uh, shout out to my boy Mac Harris. He's one of my best friends, and he's from Birmingham. But unfortunately, I don't think that this is the year for Alabama Birmingham. Uh, they have played just one football game since Halloween. And so they did end up playing a game last week. Actually, that was kind of the first game that they had played since Halloween, uh, went the entire month of November without playing football decimated by COVID Um, played well last week, but I think that there's just going to be way too many continuity issues here. Um, And Marshall on the other hand had a really dud, an absolute dud uh, getting shut out by rice two weeks ago, but I like Marshall to bounce back. I think they're a really good team. They've got a former Hokie and Devontae Beckett uh, leading their defense. And I just think that they're the better team and five and a half points is not quite enough. If you'd have put this line at, you know, seven and a half, maybe I'd have taken the Blazers here, but I like the herd. Chris, you got the Blazers, right? I do. And make no mistake Blazers, but it's a dragon. And that's what you have to come to 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 focus in on here. It is a dragon. Thundering herd versus a it's a bison. So to me, dragons greater than bison. That's debatable for some, not for me. But uh in all seriousness, uh I know Irby uh, mentioned the uh the one game. So they're coming off of a very unique experiment of taking a bye month instead of a bye week. Um, but that one team that they ended up coming back and playing and beating was Rice, who you just mentioned that Marshall just lost to. So it's uh, just one of those kind of, you know, drama games. The, let's be honest. These are two teams that no one's really watched a lot of football of this entire season, uh, myself included. And five and a half points for two teams that are probably pretty even in the long run. So uh, for me, it was just a, just enough points to take UAB here. I have no idea if that's right or wrong, but in a matchup of two teams I've never watched, they're statistically even. I'm going to take five and a half points. So that's why I went with the uh, – the UAB Blazers slash Dragons. Go for it, Brett. Uh, your pick for this one, and then I'll let you roll into the Maction Championship next because that's your right. uh, your specialty. So 
Marshall made me look like a genius when they beat App State. I think that was like week. I mean, that was one of the first weeks of the locks of Saturday was introduced. It was and like week three or week four, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, and including our own Billy Ray, was questioning my ability to pick, and I proved everybody wrong. So I'm going to have to roll with them again. And yeah, they had a bad loss, but everybody has a bad loss in a group of five football, pretty much, unless you're like Cincinnati. But so anyway, let's go to my favorite time of the year, which is Maction. I thought we were never going to get it this year, but we got a great group of six games that were just prime action. It was like more on brand than an, a regular season. Lights were going out. Player sprinklers were coming on just absolute abysmal plays. I mean, it was just incredible. It was incredible. So with ball state plus 13 and a half versus Buffalo, I'm taking Buffalo. They had a guy that scored eight touchdowns two weeks ago. I think they just outmatched ball state on terms of talent and including the tailback that set some records. So I'm going with Buffalo here. They look really good. Dude, Buffalo is a wagon. They're an absolute wagon of a team. They've looked good for like not only last year, this year. Again, crisp looking uniforms from Buffalo. I like them. I think they're a really good team. Um, I think they're slept on a little bit as a program as well because they're in the Mac, but I mean, can't think of a tougher place to win than Buffalo and they're just doing a great job up there. So give me Buffalo by a couple touchdowns. Irby, what you got? Uh, Jared Patterson. That's the running back that Brett was just talking about. He's an absolute animal. Buffalo's five and oh, they're not even ranked horribly underrated. Uh, yeah. Jared Patterson. If you're, if you happen to be in a college fo- college fantasy football league, I think those still exist. Let's hope you've picked up Jared Patterson by now. Yeah, just looking at the uh, kind of the more advanced analytics, I went to Sharp just because I had to get a feel for these games. I don't watch nearly as enough action as Brett does, so it's tough for me to get a feel for it. But um, just looking at the divisional breakdown, it did seem like Ball State was in a better division. They played every single semi-directional Michigan school, which apparently is the, the better part of the MAC. which point. MAC divisions should be Kraft and Velveeta. It, it, that, that's a decree. Brett as the as the future Mac commissioner, uh, make that happen. We, we we need new divisional names and just the branding and sponsorship opportunities. The the Mac Cheese Bowl, it, it just come on, it, it's all there. We'll get it done. They need to I call my application that. yesterday. It needs to be played in Lambeau Field at like ten degrees and snowing. It needs to be yes. called the Kraft Mac and Cheese Bowl. Yes, absolutely. Oh my uh, gosh, fantastic. These two teams also advanced wise were pretty even 13 and a half points. Yes. They're getting 13 and a half because Buffalo is absolutely rolling people, but they're coincidentally in the worst, I don't know, maybe they're going to be in the Velveeta division, but um, yeah, just take the points in a matchup where I haven't seen a lot of the different teams. If they're even metrically, I'm going to take the points in this one. So I'm going with ball state. Yeah, so uh, if Brett is the future commissioner of the MAC, Chris is future commissioner of the Sun Belt, I'll take Mountain West because I'm I'm the late night Mountain West guy. Irby, who, who are you? Who are you the commission of? Uh, the ACC. Duh. I, go ACC. I I heard you were in contention for the for the new spot. 
Uh, yeah, not I can't remember the guy's name that they quote unquote hired, uh, but that's just a farce. They that's just a cover up. I'm really going to be working kind of behind the scenes, really just making the whole thing go. They just didn't want public backlash of hi- hiring someone so overqualified. Um, so, you know, I'll uh, I'll put in a good word for tech, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really just anyone not from the state of North Carolina, I think would be nice for the ACC and, and they got a good one. So hopefully things look up for the ACC as a conference, especially with football. Speaking of a conference that things are not super great in for football, the Pac-12 title game. Oregon plus three against Southern California. Now, Irby, I'll go back to you because this is your uh, national champion pick as of three, four weeks ago, the Oregon Ducks, who got into this game because Washington like, did not have any players. like, Just straight up did not have any players for, I think it's been like three weeks or something for Washington. It's been a while, so... Are you sticking with your natty champs or are you flipping to USC? Yeah. So what I have to say to Oregon, um, I'm going to quote the great philosopher that is Adam Sandler. And I'm going to say you blew it Uh, because they had maybe, I thought an outside shot at the playoff. Maybe the committee didn't think so, but then they lost two dumb games. They're, They're on a two game losing streak. And they somehow made it to their conference championship quite literally by default. Um, Meanwhile, I mean, I don't think USC is great, but I think Keaton Slovis is legit. And a three-point spread is pretty pretty small here. So I'm going to go with the team that actually earned their way to this game. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Keaton Slovis is, you know, he's getting a lot of hype for next season. Um, and I think he's just an absolute gamer. He's done really well at USC this season. He's done nothing but win since he's been there in LA. Give me USC. I think they could blow this one open. Oregon has not looked sharp at all this season. Offensively, they are not the same. Um, and defensively, they're missing a lot of key guys. So uh, give me the Trojans. Chris? Yeah, this one was essentially just the Pac-12 rolling like a lottery ball machine of who can take whose place and just coming up with, hey, yeah, we'll make up a reason this team deserves a shot at the Pac-12 championship. And in reality, none of this matters. Um, USC maybe has like an outside shot if there's enough of like the West Coast contingent of the playoff committee saying that they have a justifiable reason to somehow ramp up. I think it's going to take like 13 extra slots for them to get into the final four, but other than that motivation for USC to win this game, um, there, there's probably no other reason than just, hey, we won a Pac-12 championship just to have a Pac-12 champion. Um, it's worth noting that USC has shown their ability now to finally get over the hump of Clay Helton somehow mismanaging the end-of-clock games. He's like, finally, Andy Reid, he's kind of pushing through. He's got a good quarterback, and he can finally just you know take that last two minutes and, and, and get a win out of it. Uh, so I've been enjoying that um but uh yeah just usc close game um just taking the trojans in this one brett your pick for the big game out west yeah usc is obviously i think they're the the most dominant team in the pac-12 um last week they had a little bit of scare with ucla but they grinded it out good teams always find a way to win oregon didn't find a way to win against the 
irrelevant Oregon State team, apparently. So I just like the Trojans due to recency bias here and the better players like Keaton Slovis and Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, USC, I, I think they have a shot if all chaos breaks loose. I mean, I think the College Football Playoff Committee would rather have an undefeated Pac-12 champion USC if that doesn't make it into the college football playoff. Um, that's that's going to raise some questions if they try to throw Oklahoma back in there, if they try to throw you know, a one-loss Notre Dame in there, like... Um, who knows? God forbid, like Iowa State has an outside shot at it. Texas A&M has an outside shot. So um, that'll give them something to something to definitely think about. In our next game, talk about an outside shot. Northwestern, they they had it. They they had it all, and then they just blew it against Michigan State. Um, they are plus. Tell 20, me about it. They're plus twenty and a half dogs. In a conference title game. We have a three touchdowns spread for a conference title game. They are playing Ohio State, and Ohio State does have a tendency to dominate the Big Ten championship game. Uh this is I mean, this is one where a lot of people don't think Ohio State should be in here. Um, a lot of people think that they kind of got grandfathered into this game. Look, they're clearly the best team in the Big Ten. They're clearly one of the best teams in the country. But you, you got to think for Northwestern, it's is that a little bit of motivation coming into this game? I mean, you're three touchdown underdogs. You're playing a team who you maybe don't think deserved it. A team that really hasn't played in a while. Do the Cats have a shot in this one? Uh, I'll go to Irby first. The fighting Reese Davises. The fighting Reese Davises. God, I love Reese Davis and he loves Virginia Tech. You know, he says it's his favorite favorite venue or location that uh, he's ever been on on college game day, which is pretty sweet. But unfortunately, I don't love him back right now. Um, I think that Northwestern, they haven't really done anything to prove themselves. I mean, that quote unquote defining win that had everyone hype was a win over Wisconsin that has since proved to not really be that much of a valuable win. Um, the Big Ten is just bad. And Northwestern is, I guess, the best of the bad besides Ohio State. And I just think Ohio State, um, I think they know what's at stake. And I think they know that if there's a close game against Northwestern, there's a decent shot that they could blow their playoff shot. Like if they struggle and beat Northwestern by a field goal, they could play themselves out of the playoffs without even losing. Um, so I think that Ohio State is going to want to win this game and they're going to want to win it definitively. Um, so three touchdowns or more, I think is the safer bet here. Yeah, I, I'm going to go against that. And here's my reasoning. Uh, you know, I put in the article like, look, I've I lived in Cleveland for four years. I was surrounded by Ohio State fans. That is a different breed of fandom. They think Ohio State is the it's better than sliced bread. Like Ohio State football can do no wrong. And I think America is rooting for Northwestern in this game. I don't think Northwestern can win this game. They they just simply can't score enough points. But if they keep I put if they can keep the game total under 50, if they can keep Ohio State somewhere in the 30s, uh, they'll have a pretty good shot. I think they need to look at what Indiana did, where Indiana basically just said, throw out the playbook. 
Ohio State's weakness is the defensive secondary this year. Just throw at them. I mean, they're not a very good pass defense. I know Northwestern isn't really built to play like that, but you, you might have to try something, might have to try to catch them off guard. I think Northwestern can cover 20 and a half. 20 and a half is an astronomical spread for a conference championship game. I mean, it's just astronomical. I I don't think I can take 20 and a half points. I said this for the Ohio State Indiana game as well. It's just too big of a spread. Uh, Ohio State is loved too much this year by Vegas, I think. Chris, what do you got for this one? I definitely agree with the Northwestern pick as far as just points. 20 and a half just seems like a lot. Um, just thinking about a game strategy, this is nothing to lose. Um, you are solely just there to see what you can do against Ohio State. I think a strategy of just, hey, you know, go to the back of the playbook and just do the things that you normally would never even dream about doing and just kind of have that kind of kitchen sink type game, maybe ugly it up, um, just get some random variables, just just those types of plays and scheme from Northwestern makes a lot of sense in this game. Um, on the, I guess, to to, to Irby's earlier point, um, respectfully disagree. I think essentially they've been rewriting the rule book on the fly to gift Ohio State a path to get to the college football play. I think they justified giving them a, a final four spot and then they just kind of work backwards. What do we have to do to give this team the right to get to the, the college football playoff to get a top four spot? And that's essentially what they're doing. It's like, if you are having like, you know, like I grew up playing like game of like wiffle ball in my backyard and because it was my house, I got to make up rules on the fly. That's what this feels like. They're just making up rules on the fly because, Hey, Ohio state kind of pseudo owns the big 10. So they get to write the rule book in their favor. So um, it's well, probably I mean, a bit of salt coming out there, but they have a they have a spot if they go undefeated. Let, let's be honest here. It's Ohio State. This is about revenues, and they're going to get the most eyeballs if they have a place in the college football playoff. I mean, if you're the Big Ten, if you're a Big Ten fan outside of maybe Northwestern and Michigan, you're pulling hard for Ohio State because if Ohio State makes that playoff, it's a decent amount of money that gets allocated to your school. And I mean, if Northwestern wins this, the Big the Big Ten corporate offices in Indianapolis are going to be very upset because they have done a lot to get Ohio State into the playoff. I mean, I I don't I don't want to say that this is was their sole reason, but you got to think part of the reason they even decided to play this year was maybe hey, Ohio State has a potential Heisman winner and they have a potential national title team. Let's not screw this up as a conference. Let's get them in there. So, Northwestern um they could shock the world. I don't think it'll happen, but who knows maybe. Brett what do you have? You think uh, you think the Buckeyes are going to take it home? Yeah, I do. And here's why. I think Northwestern is actually a little bit fraudulent. Just I'm looking at their scores. They beat a ranked Iowa team by one. They beat barely beat a Nebraska team by a touchdown. They barely beat Purdue by a touchdown. They defeated a – they only put 17 points on a Wisconsin team that we learned was not very great. And then they defeat – they lost to Michigan State. And they struggled early against Illinois. I mean, is Northwestern a fraudulent team? I don't know. They this look, I guess, compared to the past, we're thinking, oh my God, Northwestern's amazing because they've been a terrible football team in the last probably overall 10 years, except for a few blips here and there. But like it's already been said, you guys have pretty much covered everything. Especially for people picking Ohio State. 
I think they just have to solidify their spot in the college football playoff. They cannot have any doubt just because they haven't played that many games. They, there should be no doubt. And I think the only way they're going to do that is beating another ranked big 10 team by three or more touchdowns, a weak big 10, a weak big 10 in that uh, aspect. So I got the Buckeyes by at least three touchdowns. It'll be an interesting one because I mean, it's like there's the script on how to, you know, get at Ohio state that Indiana brought forth. And that's not what Northwestern can do at all. So uh, we'll see what they have drawn up pretty smart guys at Northwestern. So they'll think of something. I'm sure we'll move on to the big 12 championship game, Oklahoma. They do it every year. They're just sneaking up right at the end of the year. Minus five against Iowa state. One of the hottest teams in the country, Iowa state. I'm going boomer sooner in this one. Boomer sooner, relatively good team against the spread, but they are especially good in big 12 title games. They've won the last three since they decided to do this um, new model in the big 12. And they've won all three of those games by a touchdown or more. And all of those were against top 15 teams as well. So uh, Oklahoma has shown out in the big 12 title game. If you give that offensive staff and those players some time, to game plan, they're just going to outscore you. And I, I think that's what they do here. A shootout in Dallas. I, I think this game could, the game total could be in the 80s very easily. I mean, very easily. Whatever the over is, take it. Don't be the guy who took the under in the Big 12 title game. Just don't do that. Uh, Irby, what do you got for this one? I think that Iowa State is the new Indiana. And what I mean by that is they are the most overrated team in the country. Um, there is no reason for them to be number six right now. I, If I am a Cincinnati fan, I am very upset, and I am demanding to play Iowa State tomorrow. Um, I think that Iowa State has done well. I think Matt Campbell's a great coach, and I think he's got a great future ahead of him. Uh, if the Michigan job opens, maybe. Um but Oklahoma is far and away more talented and they're only, I guess, kind of set back by the two losses they had to start the big 12 season. But those were both back in September. And one of them was to Iowa state. I think that they have revenge on their mind. And I think that this game is going to be, I wouldn't say ugly, but I think Oklahoma wins this one by about two touchdowns. Chris, you disagree. You have the Cyclones showing up in Dallas. Yeah, for just the sole purpose, kind of a... In this game, I'm just rolling with the coaching matchup overall. Yes, Oklahoma is dominant in this game whenever they've been in it. And, uh, you know, they they have rolled teams over, the I think, the like last month and a half. But... Um, all that being aside, this is more of a bet on Matt Campbell just being able to prepare his team for big games. And I was pretty curious, you know, obviously his first year, he kind of read that off. They're trying to get the program up and running. But since 2017, uh, I think it's been uh, 17 games, a 0.3 margin of victory versus ranked teams. You know, so you're playing not just Big 12 games, but you're playing in some other kind of non-conference type games as well. So he knows how to get his team ready to play a tight football game. And I think this is one where he can actually get there because he's they've already proven that they can beat Oklahoma because he did it already earlier on in the season. 
Now, can they beat them twice? I don't think so. But can they get this game super close, like a field goal? I think so. I think it's the Big 12. I think points are going to be essentially easily available for both teams, not just Oklahoma in this one. And it's probably going to be those ones where the last team has it, probably wins and gets ahead. It's not going to be like a tie game, tie game, tie game. It's probably going to be this person's up by three, this person's up by four, this person's up by three kind of game. And all that's within the margin of five. But uh, to another point to Irby, I think he said before the possible Michigan, I think Wright State, wrong team. I think Lions makes more sense than than University of Michigan. So Campbell's interviewing for the NFL here too. I think a lot of teams are going to start calling him, especially if he wins this game. So um, you heard it here. I I think all of the smoke and mirrors about him going to another big blue blood is probably overblown. I think he's going to do the Matt Rule thing where he's going to go make the jump to the NFL. And hey. before. Before we get to Brett's pick to round us out, I do want to say uh, I made an error in the programming note at the beginning. We will be doing our, um, we'll review really quickly our ACC over under win totals. We will also get into some coaching carousel talk on next week's pod. We are very excited about that. There should be some odds starting to pop up here and there about coaching. Um, We've been talking about this podcast for like a month and a half on our Slack message and we are super pumped about it. So my apologies, guys, my apologies. I have it right in the article and I don't have it right on the podcast, but anyway, next week over under win totals and coaching carousel, Brett round us out. Oklahoma is minus five against Iowa state. Yeah. Uh, Iowa state's also another fraudulent team. Does anyone forget that they lost to Louisiana at the beginning of the year? I really don't care if it was the beginning of the year. Well, I said an article, now you remember, and now you remember why Oklahoma was going to beat them. Oklahoma did lose to Kansas State. Yes, I get that. You can make that argument as well. But Oklahoma has, in my opinion, just always is, is there, like you had said, Sam. I think Lincoln Riley always finds a way to win no matter what. Um, granted, I think this is Matt Campbell's probably last game coached at Iowa State. I think he's, I don't know, maybe, well, maybe not, because everybody seems to be resigning their coach, re-signing their coaches like Michigan, Texas, all these places that I thought he would go. So who knows? He's probably going to be there now. They might even re-sign him. Anyway, I got Oklahoma minus five. Um, they always find they expect to win big games. Sam, you said, what do you think What do you think the over-under is for Big 12 cha- championship game? What do you think it is? I haven't for, seen uh, it. Do you know okay. it? Yeah, I'm looking right at it. Okay. So, uh, everybody uh, guess what the, what the over-under is. I'm going to say 72. Chris, I want to be like Price is right rules and just kind of go one over you. I'm no, gonna, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. No. We're not doing that. <laughs> one dollar, Bob. Yeah, it's got to be somewhere in the seventies. I'm gonna go high seventies, maybe like seventy-five and a half. Since when is seventy-five and a half in the high seventies? That's mid seventies. It's about seventy-five. <laughs> you round up. Yeah, you round up. No. Right, Irby, what do you think? Uh, I'll go lower, sixty-eight and a half. Well, all three of you are vastly off. It is 58 right now. I'm putting my bet in right now. Yeah, so I don't know. The over over is minus 115, and the under is at one, minus 105. Obviously, those odds aren't too much different, but Vegas is obviously favoring the over. So uh, 58, I um, was blown away. That's why I had to ask what you guys thought, because I was blown away. Hey, Everybody just needs to stop right now. Go hit that line. And then yeah, we can- that's – yeah. 
I mean, I don't know how much traction we gain on lock Saturday, but if Vegas hears this and this line hits 65 by Saturday morning, don't blame us. But anyway, if, okay. As long as you are not driving your car right now, stop what you are doing. <laughs> and, no, and put in, well, put that well, in. That is too good. That's, that's life changing right there. That's, that's, yeah, that's life changing. I, I can't believe that. All right. Well, I got Sooners minus five and the over 58 right now. So all right, oh, take it away man. the next one's in. <laughs> Wow, that just got everyone really excited. Uh, that's a fun one. Uh, speaking of fun, Chris, the fun belt, Louisiana, the aforementioned Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They are plus four against undefeated Coastal Carolina. Uh, we're all picking Coastal Carolina, but Chris, I'll let you cover this one. Um, I mean, I'm a little surprised it's minus four. Coastal's done a pretty good job of covering uh, these the games that have been a little bit closer spreads this year, like the App State game. Yeah, I mean, this is one where it's almost like you, you you get an emotional attachment early on in the season, and you just can't let go. Coastal Carolina has been that team ever since they kind of showed that they were going to be kind of the 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 Cinderella type team, you know, like UCF a few years back, and you know all the other programs that we that we definitely uh, can can get behind and. Yeah, it's the Sun Belt Commissioner 2035. I'm going to project it out a little bit further just to give the guy in the seat some wiggle room. But Coastal Carolina, they finish it out. They go undefeated, um, at least regular season-wise. I don't know who they're going to get in a bowl game or if they even opt into one uh, at this point. But uh, the the margin is that close, and they've proven that they can do it with greater ones against better teams. Granted, Louisiana Lafayette is a better is a really solid team. Billy Napier – who knows if he's going to be around just a prelude to the, the KRSL podcast we might get ourselves into, but um, yeah, I got to go with coastal Carolina here. It's, it's to, to finalize a, a fun ride that they provide this year. Yeah, it's uh it's going to be a fun game. If they win, they will be arguments for them to get into New York six bowl, but I just don't see it happening. Uh, you know, and they'll have two decent wins against app state and against louisiana if they do beat louisiana but it's just probably not going to happen regardless um it's been a great job by the folks down at coastal we are going to move it up the coast a little bit and well i guess not really on the coast considering that uh, charlotte's uh, on the coast of lake norman we'll call it that in charlotte acc title game clemson minus 10 and a half against notre dame the same Notre Dame team that beat them in double overtime uh, earlier in the year. Uh, I'll I'll go for this one, and I I thought about this one a lot. This was probably the only game where I really had to look into it, and both teams are kind of known for being very five hundred against the spread. Clemson four and six against the spread this year. Notre Dame five and five. Um. I actually don't think the story of this game is Trevor Lawrence being the quarterback instead of DJ. I think the story of this game is the health of the Clemson defense. If they are a little healthier, we've seen what they did against Pitt and against Virginia Tech. Now, granted, um, you know, Hendon Hooker, Braxton Burmeister, and Kenny Pickett are not at the level that Ian Book is, but this Clemson defense is a mile and a half better than they were when they went up to South Bend. I don't think 
Notre Dame is going to be ready for the full Clemson. Not to discredit the win they had because they they had a great win. Notre Dame is a very good team. I think if Notre Dame loses this game respectfully, they should be in the playoff. But you know, we'll we'll see when that comes around. But I have Clemson minus ten and a half. I think this has backdoor cover rating written all over it. Um, and I also think the presence of Trevor Lawrence, uh, he's not going to throw for 400 yards probably, but what he is going to do is take a lot of pressure off the other guys. Um, you know, you're going to play much more fast and loose when you know Trevor Lawrence is your quarterback instead of a true freshman. So give me Clemson minus 10 and a half. I think, you know, Dabo needs one thing as you know, whatever you think about Dabo Sweeney, he needs one thing to get his team fired up. And that was Florida state canceling. Florida State ruined it for everybody because now Clemson is a wagon. And uh, I think backdoor cover written all over this one. Give me the Tigers. You know, I, I'm actually going to go uh, to much, I guess, to the chagrin of my in-laws. I'm going to pick Notre Dame in the points here. Um, I'm not going to pick Notre Dame to win the game because I I, I do need somewhere to go for Christmas. Um, and... But I am going to take Notre Dame plus 10 and a half here. And, but Sam, the player to keep um, an eye on, and this is kind of to further your point a little bit about this Clemson defense, um, is the presence of James Skalski, uh, Clemson's middle linebacker. I don't have the exact numbers on me currently, but Clemson's run defense is significantly better when he's on the field. And he left that game against Virginia Tech very early, and he was out of that game against Notre Dame. Um, can Skowski be 100% after, again, getting hurt against Virginia Tech? Um, does he, even if he's out there on the field, like does he have enough in the tank to slow down Kyron Williams and this very, very, very deadly, uh, time-consuming Notre Dame um, rushing attack uh, with the, their, their strong offensive line that's probably the best in the ACC? Um, and I, I don't know. I doubt Skalski's 100%. He's just been so in and out of the lineup. And I think that Notre Dame controlled the trenches on both sides of the ball last time these two teams played. Um, and I think they do more of the same here. Um, and I think this is going to be an instant classic game, like one of these games that we're talking about for a while as one of those defining games in Trevor Lawrence's career and and really in Notre Dame's because – Again, even if they're hanging around in this game, that's a monumental game for this program. Um, well, if you're if you're Trevor Lawrence uh, and you're getting drafted by the Jets in a couple months, this is going to be the biggest game you play for a long time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be maybe the last big game he plays for yeah. you know a while. Um, but I think I think Clemson has too many playmakers, and I think Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne find a way to get it done but I think it's a late, late score to put the Tigers over the edge by three or four points. Um, I think that 10 and a half points just is too much disrespect towards Notre Dame. Right, Chris, you guys both have Notre Dame in this one. What's your rationale behind it, Chris? You start off. Yeah, I kind of want to just echo a lot where we said, but just this should not be a double-digit dog game for Notre Dame just based on how the first game went and where they're at as a team in comparison to Clemson. I don't think the gap is that big. Um, I don't think that Trevor Lawrence does 
as much or that much more than what DJ, I'm going to go to Irby to pronounce his last name here because I'm, I'm still bad at it. But um, I, I think, yeah, I think he had over 400 yards, a couple touchdowns last game. I just don't see Trevor Lawrence being that much better than that. And he could probably um, affect the game a little bit more with his legs than, um, than, than DJ did. But uh, just the gap isn't that big. This is a rematch. Clemson probably has an edge, but I do think it's a little bit of slap in the face. You're talking about uh, Dabo having a little bit of like an edge, just using something. I think Brian Kelly can do the exact uh, same thing with just showing them the line in this game and the disrespect that Notre Dame's getting. Um, don't get me wrong. I don't want Notre Dame to win this game because if they come in and win the ACC undefeated in their sole year as a member, uh, that would rub a lot of people the wrong way. But um, I'm excited for this game. It's going to be the best one of the weekend, um, probably the most viewed uh, nationally as well. Uh, I'm just really ready to see it and see what these two teams got at full health, hopefully, too. So, um you know, the winner of this game should just automatically move on and play Bama, in my opinion. So, so yeah, I got uh, Notre Dame plus 10.5 as well. I think Vegas has got this at double digits for people to hammer Notre Dame and then for Clemson just to absolutely manhandle them somehow. I think that's why they got it like this. But I don't, I don't think – I think in this case everyone should hammer Notre Dame plus 10.5. Lawrence – has looked less than stellar in the last few weeks, including against Virginia Tech. Even though that score is 45 to 10, I really don't think Lawrence played that great of a game. And I think Notre Dame has improved every week, even after their win against Clemson. I mean, this is going to definitely be one for the ages in a weird year. I just wish that it was a packed out, you know, Charlotte's uh, Bank of America Stadium. I mean, this game would be one for the ages, especially the ACC. But I would actually like to see Notre Dame win this game not because I like Notre Dame, but I would want to see how the committee figures out who they're going to put in that next spot because they have gotten everything wrong so far outside of the top four. So if they can get anything else wrong, I'd be really interested to see who they put in that four spot because assuming a loss to Notre Dame from Clemson probably would knock them out at the four spot. So it might not. They might just say, screw it. Let's just keep the same top four. But I don't know. I would be really interesting to see what, if Notre Dame wins the game, how they would pan out, especially with the other teams playing. With Texas A&M playing an extra game, for I guess for the sole fact of them uh, trying to get in, Iowa State wins. If they beat Oklahoma team, do they get in? If Clemson, if Clemson falls, I mean, it's going to be really, really sketchy for a lot of teams if, if Notre Dame pulls this game out. So. I'm rooting for Notre Dame just for the shirt, the sheer pandemonium that's going to happen amongst the college football playoffs. We love chaos in this sport over everything. It's the one team that everyone roots for. It's just chaos. And so it'll, it'll be a good game. I hope it is a good game. I hope, um, I hope both teams are healthy so that we don't have to deal with the, Oh, well they weren't at full strength talk. Um, Talking about a team that has not really been healthy all year, the Boise state Broncos, they have had a, miserable year not only with covid but with injuries and but hey they are still they are five and one five and oh in the mountain west they are six and a half point favorites against undefeated for the first time ever san jose state spartans now i i of course i'm not going to pick against boise state so 
give me Boise State minus six and a half. I think they win this game pretty easily. They've looked really good the last few weeks, not only uh, with Hank Bachmeyer on offense, but defensively and special teams, Boise State just makes plays. They remind me of a mid-2000s Virginia Tech team where they could score at any moment. It's it, They are really fun to watch. But uh, shout out to San Jose State. They have done an incredible job. They had a win last year at Arkansas. This year, undefeated 6-0 coming into this game. They've done a great job. Um, yeah, you know, good for them. It's good that they are not in the cellar of college football anymore. Um, I do have a beef with this game, though, and a beef with the Mountain West Conference, something that when I'm commissioner of the conference would never happen. This game's being played in Las Vegas. Super cool, right? Awesome. It's being played in Sam Boyd Stadium, which is where UNLV plays, and not Allegiant Stadium, the giant, state-of-the-art, incredible stadium that the Raiders play at. They're Does not that not a angry? They're not playing in the giant Roomba? No, they're playing at Sam Boyd Stadium, home of the UNLV Rebels. For Monster Jam is every year. Just an FYI. If any of you are into monster trucks, I did. I was as a kid. Maybe still am. I don't know. That makes it better. That makes it better. I'll be honest. But you went, you went to Vegas and you went to a monster jam. No, I didn't. No, I just I watched it on TV a lot. And the only stadium besides the only stadium I memorized as a kid was Sam Boyd Stadium. That was because Monster Jam, the World Finals or whatever, was there every year, like their big showdown. I'd like to imagine the Smith family huddling around the television. <laughs> I'm assuming this is a pay-per-view event. And, and no, on. no, it was on. No, it used to be on. Uh, what was it? S- SFX. It used to be on SFX, and then they had. Now it's on. It used to be Speed Channel. With, and it was Speed Channel, and now I think it's on like Fox Sports or something. This is like a get-to-know segment. I like it. This is <laughs> this is good, but um, that's awesome. Hey, yeah. monster trucks are cool. Oh, they're they're amazing. Yeah, I I I got Boise State. I'm a little pissed though that it's in uh Sam Boyd Stadium and not. I wanted to watch it in the giant room, but in the desert. But um, we all got Boise State minus six and a half, except for Chris. You're rolling with the Spartans. Tell us why you're rolling with the Spartans. Well, you kind of alluded to it, but to me, this is one of the best stories in college football. And you just don't hear about it because obviously they're San Jose State and they're in the Mountain West and no one really pays attention to it because they play games at four in the morning. But um, they, they were probably other than I think like the perennial like UMass or like New Mexico, one of the worst teams in college football. I think they're two or three years removed from winning like one or or two games in consecutive seasons. Uh, And their head coach, I think was um, essentially in the program, but not necessarily the the kind of higher levels. He was always like a positional coach or something like that. Just stuck with it, uh, came back and he's turned this program around. He's got him believing, um, it's just a great story. And so I was like, all right, I want to learn more about it. So I looked at the matchup and this is another one where the two teams are kind of even, you know, based off of the advanced metrics. And so I just don't think that it's one where Boise state should be favored by almost a touchdown and all things being equal. So I'm going to take the points in this one. You know, they're undefeated. They earned the spot and it's a good story. So I'm going to root for them. Just go, go Spartans. I'll be watching it. I'll say, plus they have great uniforms, super clean, 
I yes. love it. it yes. Chris, Chris is taking a big risk at his lead on locks of Saturday. Just that why he has picked. He really is. I noticed four different. He has picked opposite of everybody on four different picks. I'm telling you, it's going to get yeah. juicy this weekend, guys. It's going to yeah, get juicy this weekend. Down to San Jose State, I don't think he should feel very confident. I'll be honest. Man, it'll it uh, but you know, give San Jose State has played really good football this year, so it's not a crazy pick. Uh, speaking of another team who has a tendency to play really good football, Alabama is minus 13 and a half in Atlanta, they're home away from home against the Florida Gators, who um, they they just uh, the most Florida Florida man story, Florida man throws shoe, ruins entire organization's hopes and dreams. Um, we all have Alabama minus 13 and a half. They are a covering machine. They have been for the past few years since they've gone to more uh, revamped offense. Florida, not a covering machine. One, three, and one against the spread in their last five. Um, that's not very good, especially for a top 10 team. I, I think Alabama wipes the floor with them. I think it'll be a very similar game to when Alabama played Auburn and Georgia in this year where it's just not fair. Um just not fair so give me alabama guys any comments on this game i think that florida uh, i'm trying to think of how to phrase this without sounding too harsh um sound harsh go for it i don't think dan mullen is the coach to take them over the top and the reason why i think that is that just in this year alone both times that Florida has lost, which were to A&M early in the season and then last week. Uh, he has been known to uh, deflect blame elsewhere, uh, not necessarily on his players, but when they lost to A&M, he blamed it on the fact that A&M was allowed to have a sizable crowd. So you're telling me that the reason why you lost is because the football game that you played was closer to normal like this is you have to deal with the a&m crowd every year so that's not a valid excuse at all um and sam taking a sip of his water he's just enjoying this um, i really i really am because it's true so keep going well and then and then there's the whole shoe thing right and he says oh it was a football move oh okay it was a football move for his player to chuck a shoe 20 yards of course yeah, that's that makes sense. You know, I I just Mullen just seems like the kind of guy who if his team loses, he's going to find a way to make it not his fault and I just think that that's the opposite of what Nick Saban does. And so I think Nick Saban when he has the mental edge on a coach, he really shows it and I think this will be one of those games and I could see Bama winning this by a lot. Chris, what you got? To me, this was just one of those, like Alabama is just on a different mission than everyone else. Even in the SEC, they're absolutely crushing people. I think I put the Conan the Barbarian quote in the actual article. Um, it's one of those ones where you just kind of, it's like the, you know, the perennial, like, 
hey, you know, who's going to be good in the AFC East this year? And then you go, oh, yeah, I forgot Bill Belichick is still coaching with Tom Brady. And, yes, the Pats are going to go ahead and crush everybody on their way to a likely Super Bowl appearance. That's what Nick Saban is. Regardless of how all these SEC schools are spending enormous amounts of money on their coaching staffs, recruiting, at the end of the day, Nick Saban's going to get it done because he is just heads and shoulders above all levels of competition in one of the most competitive conferences in college football. I'm sorry, not one of the the most competitive conference in college football. And he is not scared of Dan Mullen in this game. They're going to win by probably, I would probably say four touchdowns. So uh, this game is going to be a blowout. Brett, you got the same feeling. Uh, Florida is coming into this game with really, um, nothing to gain. I mean, a New Year's Six Bowl, yes, but they were looking at a college football playoff all the way up until the fourth quarter of that game against LSU. Yeah, that's pretty much it. They have nothing to gain. Ty's trying to retain the number one spot because they might not even be playing Clemson. I would honestly hope, honestly, they're going to be playing. I don't know who, if it's going to get wild. That's all I got to say. I don't know who's going to be in that fourth spot depending on who wins the Clemson-Notre Dame game. But they're going to retain the number one spot regardless. Um, all I know is the guy that threw the shoe for Florida probably will not be playing this game. Um, at least I hope he wouldn't be. So, uh, yeah, Bama big. Why would he not be allowed to play because of a football move? Yeah, Brett. Yeah, that's that was incredible. I've never seen – that was like pure action in the SEC. I've never seen anything like that in my life. In the fog too. I like since when is there fog in Baton Rouge? I, I don't the 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 aura the aura of that game at that time was just incredible. I was watching it live simultaneously during the tech game. It was incredible. And then the LSU kicker hitting a fifty seven yarder in the fog. Turns out he actually was the best kicker in the country. He hit a sixty five yarder in the Under Armour All American game. So which is like a record, obviously. So but still, it was incredible. All right, next game. It's not fog. It's swamp gas. <laughs> swamp right. gas. What you're seeing is a weather balloon and swamp gas. Uh, <laughs> we will we will not be in the swamp for this game. Tulsa plus 14 in the American Athletic Conference championship game against the Cincinnati Bearcats. Cincinnati, who is... You got to be pretty ticked off if you're Luke Fickle in Cincinnati because they have done nothing but win big. They have done nothing but look stellar for two years now. And uh, really, I mean, ever since that military bowl game against Virginia Tech, they've been on a tear. Um, I think they even won 10 games that year. Um, They have two touchdowns in their favor. I think Cincinnati can win this one by like 30. Uh, Tulsa has limped their way into this game. Um, Their last three games, they have a four-point win against East Carolina, a four-point win against Southern Methodist, and a six-point win against Tulane. Um, That's not going to get it done. Cincinnati big. Chris, Robert, Brett, what do you got here? The Cincinnati, let me phrase it a little differently since we all pick Cincinnati. How much does Cincinnati need to win by for the playoff committee to be like, okay, like you have a legit shot if things happen in front of you. Yeah, this has got to be, um, I think it was a few, uh, was it the Clemson Georgia Tech game was like 70 to seven or 70. And then I think 
it, it needs to be one of those types of games. They need to obliterate Tulsa in order to be even considered, which is, it's extremely unfair, but it's one of those ones where that's the system that we're currently in right now. Uh, but it's one of those ones where if you can't necessarily, I don't know, win the hearts and minds of the playoff committee, you might as well go out proving to the country that you belong. And that's one of, I believe that Luke Fickle will get his game, excuse me, his team up for in this matchup is just, let's just go out there and crush this team. And, you know, kind of do what UCF is. I'm, I'm waiting for the claimed national championship shirts that they're going to print in Cincinnati this year because uh, I can see that happening. Um, Cincinnati huge in this one. Does anyone remember uh, the 2005 Virginia Tech-West Virginia game where uh, Virginia Tech goes on the road? They beat West Virginia pretty handily. And uh, Virginia Tech quarterback Marcus Vick, who had accounted for three touchdowns in that game, gives the old uh, one-finger wave to the crowd, and he does it with both hands. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. An emphatic statement followed by an emphatic statement. Uh, I imagine a similar scenario unfolding where Cincinnati just makes a statement on the field, and then Luke Fickle – calls up the CFP commissioner. I can't think of his name right now, but he calls him up on a, on a zoom call and gives him the exact same, uh, little wave. That's, that's what I see unfolding. Yeah. I, I, this team is going to be so fired up for this game and, uh, they should be. So Brett, do they have a shot to impress? Oh God. Yeah. They want to stick it to the man is what, is what everyone says. So I'm just echoing everybody. I think, we kind of nailed exactly the visual that everybody should think about if they dominate everything happens and they still don't go get in that's just wrong so stick to the man cincinnati yeah it'll be uh it'll be a fun one to watch too just from i, w- I want to see how many points cincinnati scores but because we're all saying this uh, tulsa might win this game who knows uh guys that is it for the conference championship games now i'm not gonna leave you without a Virginia Tech surprise prop bet. Is Virginia Tech playing a game until September? No, they are not. Their first game will, in fact, be September 4th. I believe is the first Saturday of September next year. So Virginia Tech is currently slated to play Middle Tennessee on September 11th, West Virginia, the Black Diamond Trophy on September 18th, the Richmond Spiders on September 25th, and Notre Dame, on October 9th. Those are the four non-conference matchups, which opens up week one against an ACC opponent. Uh, considering that Virginia Tech will be playing in the Coastal and their two crossover games will be Boston College and Syracuse, who does Virginia Tech play to start the season next year? Syracuse, without a doubt, my in my mind. I think... <laughs> We think we've learned our lesson playing Boston College first, so I think they're going to give Syracuse a shot. I'd love to see us play UNC. Uh, a shout-out to, uh, I believe it was Rossi Three Stacks on the Sons of Saturday pod who pointed out that that is a very real possibility, and I think that as uh, better as I think UNC will be than us next year, it'll be fun to get that out of the way early. Oh, any team. I thought you meant just Syracuse and Boston College. I guess it could be any team. Yeah, yeah it could be any any ACC team. Chris, you go. I'll, I'll, I'll circle back and change my answer. 
Yeah, I'm just trying to think of who we usually end up playing early on in the season um, versus later on. I mean, obviously that rules out kind of like the Miami, Virginia, even Pitt game. We always used to kind of play those games uh, pretty late on in the season. So I'm going to go with Randall. I'm going to go with Duke. You know, we usually play them pretty early. Um, and it's just one of those like kind of tune-up type ACC games. I, I, I hope it's a tune-up ACC game going in the next season, but uh, just kind of go on to left field with that one. I got, I got a feeling. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with UNC. And the reason behind that is um, UNC doesn't have a week one game scheduled either. Um, and, and I just think it, it sets up well. Um, so yeah, give me, give me UNC. I think it'll be really fun because I'm looking forward to next year already getting in my mindset. We had a great press conference from coach Phil, uh, today, which he sounded like an actual football coach today, which was really fun and, uh, get me excited. I I think it's going to be a big game. UNC coming to Lane stadium. That's my prediction uh it'll be fun to see which one they get though I, I hope it's not syracuse brett i hope it's not syracuse have you thought better of it yeah so are we playing middle tennessee state in lane stadium or are we playing them in we we are playing them in uh in lane stadium i i believe they're going to do the return trip to uh tennessee Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro. yeah Thank basically you. it's a town that's 45 minutes outside of okay. national but yeah, I so, believe they're going to do that in a few years. So looking at the scheduling, I've, I'm, I've dived into this now. So we play three out of those four games you mentioned are in Lane Stadium, with one of them being at West Virginia. So are we really going to start the game season with four out of five home games to start the season? I don't know. That's kind of tough. So that leaves Miami, Georgia Tech, and Boston College all away games to be the beginning of the season. So I think <laughs> – as much as I hate to say it, I'm going to go back to what I said. I think it's going to be Boston College. I think they're going to throw another away game in there just because I don't think they're going to start four out of five games being uh, at home. Uh, I, th- You might be right, but I also really hope you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, I hope I'm wrong too. I just want to be right by looking at it yeah. deeper dive. We've That's- also have played Georgia Tech in the beginning of the past. Yep. Um, yep. We, we've actually ruined some seasons at the beginning against Georgia Tech in the past. So... Um. Yeah, it definitely won't be Miami because they will not send our players down there in the early September in South Florida. So it's going to be Boston College, Georgia Tech. But I'm going Boston College. Yeah. Um. The the one thing I'll say about is having a lot of early um home games is the ACC does have a tendency to have Virginia Tech playing on the road when the foil uh when the foliage is nice and orange and maroon and it's beautiful weather in Blacksburg. The ACC doesn't want Virginia Tech to play at home during those weeks. So it could be, could be a home game there. Um, really just looking forward to next season, season for all the Hokie fans. Positive signing day today. Um, looking forward to spring ball for the Hokies. But more immediate future, looking forward to conference championship Saturday. It's going to be a blast. If you have... Have any questions for us? Have any comments on your own betting slip? Just hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Sam Saturday. Check out the article on sonsofsat.com. We'll be back next week to talk coaching carousel and go over our over-under totals for the ACC that we did at the beginning of the season. Guys, any last thoughts as we log off tonight? I was right about Rutgers. I'm a genius. You were right about Rutgers.
Congratulations. You picked against the team playing Maryland. Credit. Got to take some credit where I can now. Yeah. Any, any pick as we go off a wise one? Uh, this week, uh, I don't know. I kind of like Michigan state against Maryland again, honestly, plus one fifteen. bet against, this is a strictly bet against Maryland podcast now. Yeah. I was just looking at it before I talked about, it, so it reminded me about, uh, yeah, game last week. So, hey, if we're just going based on QB names, Rocky Lombardi easily takes the cake. I mean, problem is, is he's a horrible quarterback, but his name is phenomenal. Rocky Lombardi, like that's just two legends in one name. I lied. I'm sorry. Rutgers plus two ten against Nebraska again. Somehow they're dogs. So <laughs> you heard it here on the locks. We will end with that. Choose Rutgers plus 10, 210 money line against Nebraska. Did you ever think the day would come? Guys, awesome podcast. Loved it as always. See you next week. And as always, go Hokies. Go Hokies.